everyone to the first Actually Autistic podcast with my guest interviewer, Callie Wright. Say hello to everybody, Callie. Why, hello. Thanks for having me. Oh, thank you so much for stepping in to interview me because me interviewing me is really, really boring. I know because I've been listening to myself interview myself for my entire life. And... (laughs) I was going to say, I think you could, you, you might be able to come up with something cool as a concept for that, maybe. Uh, yeah, yeah. It sounds like a lot of work. <laughs> yes, 100% right about that. Exactly. So, Callie is the host and producer of the wonderful podcast Queer Splaining, which used to be Gaytheist. Manifesto? The Gaytheist Manifesto is what it used yes. to be called. Yes. Yeah. And you have quite a few episodes out. Uh, over a hundred and something. Do you know how many there are? Uh, you know, it's funny when Apple started doing the like, we don't want numbers in mm. our titles. I mm-hmm. stopped using numbers in my titles and therefore I have stopped uh, keeping track of how many episodes <laughs> I have out. Uh, I know I'm getting somewhere close to 200 though. Wow, that's amazing. Do you want to tell us a little bit about your podcast and what's focus is? Yeah, for sure. So my show, it, like you said, it's called Queer Splaining, and it's storytelling that's focused around the lives of queer and trans folks. And the idea being that, you know, you hear mainstream representation of queer and trans folks, but a lot of it is very obviously made for not those audiences, right? So it's mm-hmm. stories about queer and trans folks, and queer and trans folks are not the intended audience. So like, it ends up kind of feeling like a zoo exhibit. Like, mm-hmm. and to your left, you have a specimen of queer. And yes. it's like, it's just really annoying and objectifying and othering. And, you know, my idea is to interview queer and trans folks and give a real window into folks' lives and stories and and sort of paint a, a picture of what real life is like. And, and sometimes that means we tell stories that don't actually have anything to do with queerness. It just happens that the person telling the story is queer or trans. And uh, and so that that's kind of the concept. And I very specifically target my audience as being other queer and trans folks. And that doesn't mean that other folks aren't welcome. But when I have in mind who I'm actually talking to, who the content is targeted towards, it's those folks. And because we've been chatting via Messenger and Facebook and other places. So mm-hmm. I, I have an idea that the, doing this podcast has completely changed your life for the better. Do, oh do you want to talk about that a little bit? Yeah, for sure. So I met my wife because of my podcast, which uh-huh. is probably the number one thing on the top <laughs> of the list there. She was one of my first donors on Patreon. And I do Google Hangouts with the folks who give over $4 an episode. And we just started to get to know each other. And I was thinking about asking her out. And she ended up asking me out instead. Oh, uh, so, that's yeah, adorable. So, yeah, it worked out really well. And we're actually coming up on our, on our year wedding anniversary, oh, which is pretty Oh, congratulations. Amazing. That's wonderful. So, um, yeah. and do you feel that your that the focus of your podcast to reach out to people in your community, has that been successful? I think so. I, I actually, one of the, the great self-care things that I do is I keep a wins file in my mm-hmm. Google Drive. And so anytime somebody, somebody sends me an email or a Facebook message or something like that saying that, uh, you know, something on the show meant something to them mm-hmm. uh, or, you know, that they were, they learned something, they were touched by something, they were helped by something. I, uh, you know, take a screenshot or like copy paste the text because 
yeah, I'm, I'm sure you know, like, you know, as a creative person, sometimes sometimes you feel like you are making a difference and sometimes you feel like what you do is meaningless. Yes. And when I'm feeling that way, I go back to that to just sort of remind myself that like what I'm doing is having an impact. And, you know, even if you know, whether it's a few people or like thousands or millions of people, like it still matters. And I, I do that to to help to help myself be mindful of that. And and so, yeah, I'm, I'm pretty comfortable saying that I have reached not like you know i mean success i guess is a journey as opposed to a goal right because i want to do more of that and keep doing sure. it as long as i can i mean yeah i mean if, if for some reason it all ended tomorrow i would feel pretty good about the fact that i've had some impact well that's wonderful advice and if that happens to me i'm gonna start doing that too <laughs> i like yeah. the idea of keeping a win file that's that sounds incredibly useful I've listened to a few of your podcasts because, of course, I wanted to. And uh, your voice, as all my listeners can hear, is absolutely gorgeous and sounds like warm honey on buttered toast. And so pretty much, you know, I think that any story that you talked about, your skills are fantastic and your, your sound design is beautiful. And I would really encourage all of our listeners to, to go have a listen to Queer Splaining. I will say that there are topics that come up which are difficult to hear about. And I am one of these people who cannot handle a sad story, <laughs> anything like that. So it, that meant that I kind of had to listen with my, like with my finger on the forward button so that I didn't get any of that kind of stuff stuck in my head. But it's well worth it. I was listening to a story about how you started to do uh, roller derby and it was adorable and sweet and very uh, uplifting. All right, shall we do this? So now I've invited Callie here to interview me, as I stated earlier, because in an introductory podcast, the thing to do is to introduce yourself. And I want my listeners to know that I'm going on the same journey that they are going on, that I'm facing a lot of the same struggles and challenges and also triumphs. And Callie is a wonderful, skilled interviewer, and so I'm going to actually turn the episode over to her now. Heck yeah, this is fun. I love this concept. Um, <laughs> <laughs> so I guess we should probably start with some some more super basic questions. So where did you grow up? Interested in your family situation and you know whether or not you had any sense that you were autistic or if you even knew what autism was, like if that was vocabulary that you grew up around? You know, I was born in 1961. And it just wasn't a thing. And if people knew anything about autism at all, it was young men with violent tendencies and an inability to speak most of the time. That's what autism was thought of. So I grew up, you know, I got put in the gifted category, although that also didn't mean much at the time, but it didn't extend to mathematics. So at a certain point, they said, oh, you know, yeah, she's gifted, but she's really lazy. And that got to be kind of the refrain of all my report cards and everything else. I grew up, I, I was born in Chicago, and my father is a was at the time a college professor and at the time being a college professor without tenure basically meant that you moved every year or every two years until you know another university would find you and eventually give you tenure which never happened for assorted reasons probably because he is very likely autistic as well although of course he hasn't been diagnosed either but he misses social cues and and so forth so because 
I moved so often, and because I suspect that most of my family is autistic, all undiagnosed, I never thought there was anything unusual about me at all. I just thought that I was smarter. <laughs> so, and I grew up in a time when nonconformity was seen as a good thing, you know, the dawning of the age of Aquarius and all that. And I was an Aquarius and I thought, oh, this astrology shit really works. I'm just an Aquarius and this is just who I am and I'm not meant to fit in and that's just fine. So that was a blessing and a curse. We'll, we'll talk more about masking later, but for those of you who are familiar with the term masking, I didn't do any of that. I never tried to pretend to be something I was not. I pretty much insisted that everybody else just adapt to me and my different ways. And I didn't understand why I was different other than that I was an Aquarius and astrology clearly works. So, so I want yeah. to circle back to something you said earlier, uh -huh. because you said um, they said that you were really smart, but really lazy. Yes. What was the what was the reasoning behind that? Why did they say that? Because they thought that all smartness was connected. So because I could read at five years old, they assumed that I was just being lazy when I couldn't memorize my times tables. Ah, okay. Yeah, it was a different time. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> now we understand that there's all these different styles of learning and you know, dyslexia was not a term when I was growing up. Kids who were having trouble with reading, they recognized that kids had trouble reading, but they thought it was completely environmental. They had not made really the connection in any meaningful way that there might be something going on with the neurological wiring that was making it difficult. And my my grandmother, my maternal grandmother, was a reading specialist. So, you know, if she had known, and the research may have been out there, if she had known, then she would have approached things differently than she did. Gotcha. And so how did you find out that you were autistic? How did that come up? Well, I was on Facebook and I came across this post on a friend of mine's, and, and she's the kind of person who posts, you know, a lot of kind of inspirational, motivational stuff, not so much to be obnoxious. I mean, and, and these aren't, I want to be clear because I love her dearly. These are not superficial kind of inspirational posts. You know what I mean? Yeah, right. they, they really do make you feel better. So, oh, yeah. so I saw this post and it said something like, and I'm paraphrasing, do you know a girl who's really into fantasy novels and art and loves animals and likes to be by herself and does really well in school, but is really anxious about it and sometimes has trouble making friends, but is really self-directed. It went on and on like this. And I expected at the end for it to say something like, well, she's awesome. But no, what it said is, oh, well, she may be autistic. And I, <laughs> I felt it was like one of those slow motion moments where, you know, like where you see a projectile coming towards you and you think it's coming slowly enough that you can duck out of the way, but you can't. And it was just this realization that I felt like hit my frontal cortex and then go straight through my spine all the way down to my toes. I, it was a very synesthetic moment when I saw that. I messaged her. I was like, what? what is this about? You know, and I was expecting her 
to say something like, oh, well, you know, it, it probably doesn't apply to you. But no, <laughs> no, she said, you know, it's really amazing, isn't it? And she was very positive and very encouraging. And from there, I just started looking online and, and here I am. I'm curious to know what it means to have a word to describe these things, because, you know, there are certain things in life that, you know, we find out like, oh, there's a word for that. Cool. And then, mm-hmm. you know, we, we all just kind of move on with our lives. But I mean, this sounds like this was a really, really transformative experience for you. And so can you sort of explain why it means so much to have a word to describe the specific ways that you're different? Yeah, I feel like the word is just the very tip of the iceberg because the word leads me to understanding a whole constellation of traits. And it was an entry into a whole community of people that I did not know were just like me. So what that word has meant is I listen to other women's stories. I watch other women's stories on video and read them online. And then that brings up for me memories from my life. And so most of us who well, I'm going to say everybody that I've talked to who has discovered this as an adult has gone through a sort of life review where everything that ever happens to us, our, our brain helpfully regurgitates to say, oh yeah, look at this, look at this, this is why this happened, this is why that's happened. And sometimes that's great, and sometimes it's heartbreaking, but it's always freaking exhausting. So I'm kind of still in that process. I want to say that I feel like I'm about 80% through. It's been four months. Gotcha. And I'm interested in the experience specifically as an adult because, you know, for better or worse, there is lots of conversation about autism in Mm -hmm. broader society now. And, And I mean, a lot of that conversation is terrible, right? Like it focuses around autism as a problem to solve, that autistic folks are broken, and and that sort of thing but the conversation is happening and so like at the very least you know the word is something that is in the public consciousness and you grew up without that and so i'm interested in the specific ways that figuring this out as an adult you think might be different than say uh you know a kid who was raised uh with the word autism swirling around them as a thing that they knew applied to them Mm, yeah well It's hard for me to know how it's different because I've only lived one side of it. Sure. However, I do feel like I grew up without any kind of stigma attached to it. Now, my parents were not the best. And, you know, I have a lot of other issues around abandonment and... emotional abuse and control and and all of those kinds of things. And so teasing out those differences between what is normal response to that kind of trauma and what is an autistic response to that kind of trauma has been its own kind of ongoing journey. But when I do talk to people who grew up with that label autistic, I feel like they have a lot of shame. And I just kind of want to reach out and hug them in a completely consensual, non-threatening, only if they want it hug and say, you know, you're okay. It's okay to be different. Like, I kind of wish that they had all grown up in the 60s and just thought they were Aquarians 
because so many of them they're fine there's nothing wrong with them and if they had just come from another culture say a culture like japan that doesn't like eye contact that finds social reticence to be a social good then these things might they might not feel any shame for them at all right because again our society focuses on autism as a problem to be mm-hmm. solved and so if they grow up with that label it's not for for a lot of those folks it's not necessarily like oh okay i just have a word that describes how i am yes. uh, which i think is a net positive right because it just helps us to know ourselves but there's a, there's a stigma and a shame that's attached to that because autism is seen in that negative light mm-hmm. and uh, another thing that i was super curious about in in that way is you know another thing that's sort of starting to boil to the surface in society is deeper conversations about disability and like what constitutes a disability and I have heard autistic folks both say that it is and it isn't. And I imagine, you know, the answer to that question probably has a lot to do with where you fall on the spectrum and, you know, and what specific characteristics of autism you have. But I'm interested in your thoughts and sort of unpacking that concept as to, you know, uh, should autism be classified as a disability or not? And, and is it a meaningful thing to even have an answer to that question? Well. You know, we're in kind of a transition, I feel like, in terms of, first of all, just recognizing what autism is and isn't, and how many of us there are. You know, initially it was thought like 1 in 2,500, now it's supposed to be 1 in 68. In my personal experience, it's much higher. I suspect it's at least one in 10. (laughs) Nothing scientific about that, totally anecdotal. But I know a whole lot of people who are not diagnosed that are very similar to me in certain ways. Mm -hmm. So I suspect that a lot of the things that we think of as a disability, for instance, is being left-handed a disability? No. Not if you have access to scissors and all the other, you know, things you need to functionally work in the world as a left-handed person in a right-handed person's world. So many of the things that people want the disability label for are because we're not just being accommodated in this kind of polite way. I can't handle fluorescent lights. I had no idea that that wasn't just some weird quirk of me we're very sensitive to fluorescent lights. Many of us have these kinds of sensory issues around light and sound, taste and touch. So if I'm in a space, like if I'm in a restaurant and they're playing one music in the kind of open area and then the kitchen has something else blasting back there, I can't handle it. My whole brain just shuts off If somebody tries to talk to me, I just, I look like a gaping fish. So (laughs) I guess that doesn't happen to everyone. And this was the biggest shock of my life to, to find that out. So there's a lot of sensory issues around being autistic that feel like a disability when people aren't willing to accommodate. And so when you're a minority and you have a particular way of being that is not harmonious with the majority, then that gets labeled as a disability. And then you need that label in order to get accommodations for those sensory needs. So I I think that's a big part of it. 
In the United States, we don't really get anything. We don't get any SSI or anything like that for being autistic. So the people who are really aiming for that disability label tend to be in the UK, uh, France, other countries where they actually give a damn about people who are dealing with these issues. So it's kind of a double-edged sword, if you see what I'm saying. Mm -hmm. Uh, For me, I don't think of it as a disorder or a disability. It's just part of who I am. It's part of my wiring. And I get compensations for it, you know, and we all have different ones and not everybody, I want to be clear that that not everybody gets to become a savant at something, but we usually do have a special interest or two. In my case, one of those is Shakespeare. I've been able to read Shakespeare since I was five years old. If you gave me the choice of giving up Shakespeare or being able to make small talk, it's no contest. Right. <laughs> Give me my Shakespeare. <laughs> uh, so I feel like if, if, like you said, you know, if people feel like it's disabling for them in the world that they're in, then they're absolutely right. It is making life harder. Another issue that really comes up for a lot of us is difficulty holding a job. I don't know how many jobs I've had. Sarah Hendricks, who's an incredible educator and autistic advocate, she says she's had 35. I think that's a low estimate for me because we often have a very strong sense of justice, of what's right. We are very sensitive to lying. Most of us really have no concept of social hierarchy. So from what I understand, holistic people can often walk into a room and immediately parse out who's in charge, you know, who's top dog. I can't. They're all my friends as far as I'm concerned. I am very likely to just to go up to the highest ranking person in the world and talk to them about my dog. I don't go through the elaborate, what feels to me like strange court rituals before I approach the exalted one. And that has gotten me into trouble more than once. So because of that, we are often very broke and we desperately want to fit in. We want to have meaningful work, but most of us don't unfortunately. And that is a real problem. So I had mentioned that I was going to talk a little bit about masking. And masking is a term for what autistic people do when they are trying to pass as an holistic person out in the world. It feels like you are trying to fit in and go unnoticed in a group of people. And it's not clear how effective this always is. Studies have been done that show that holistic people can spot an autistic person in a matter of seconds, whether they're masking or not. But they do seem to appreciate it when autistic people make an effort to pretend that they're not autistic. Unfortunately for the autistic person, 
this process is exhausting and it can mean that a child who is doing really well in school because they're masking incredibly well and they may have been subjected to ABA therapy where they were taught very forcibly how to mask, that when they get home, the stress of that causes meltdowns and shutdowns and Uh, what looks like a temper tantrum, but is really just a case of somebody going, I can't freaking take it. I, I cannot handle pretending to be something that I'm not. Allistic means not autistic, and autistic is a Greek word meaning somebody who is alone, and allistic is a Latin word for people who like to be in groups. So I really prefer that terminology to the NT or neurotypical label because I can't tell (laughs) what's going on in people's heads. You know, somebody could be allistic and still have lots of other challenges, you know, and, and gifts as neurodiverse people that I don't know anything about. Yeah, well, and, and I'm interested in folks should probably know why there is a word for allistic, right? Because there, there's a parallel conversation that happens in the trans community, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, and there's transgender and there's cisgender. Why mm-hmm. does the word cisgender have to exist? Mm. Because there aren't transgender people and normal people. <laughs> right. right. <laughs> and and the, 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 the word allistic exists uh, to make sure that we're not talking about, well, there's autistic people and then there's normal, regular people. So could you talk Ex- a little bit on that? Exactly. You know, what? what's that meme? You know, normal ain't nothing but a setting on a dryer, honey. So <laughs> what is normal? And as I was mentioning earlier, you know, in Japan, deep penetrating eye contact is considered incredibly rude. So it's really a cultural thing, what we define as normal. And that's not for us to judge. You know, somebody, they could be a narcissist or they could be dealing with any number of other trauma issues. They could be dealing with border personality disorder or they could have social anxiety for reasons that have nothing to do with autism. And who am I to tell them that they're neurotypical, particularly when we don't really have a benchmark for what neurotypical it is. So I guess it's one of those sort of pseudoscientific terms that really doesn't mean anything. And those really piss me off. So <laughs> I don't like them. <laughs> yeah, that's fair. I mean, you know, we, we have to kind of have a, an agreed upon definition of like what words mean to be able to communicate meaningfully. So It like, seems that like sense. that's damn helpful. <laughs> right. Yeah, yeah, exactly. And so you, I mean, you mentioned special interests earlier, and obviously I know Shakespeare is a big deal for you. So uh, what else is there? Well, I saw I saw Midsummer Night's Dream when I was when I was about five years old, and it blew my mind because I felt like finally I had some representation in Titania. <laughs> so here was this world on the outside of me that matched up with the world on the inside of me. And I looked into everything. So everything about Midsummer Night's Dream, I looked into, I looked into alchemy and I looked into Queen Elizabeth and I looked into fairies and uh, guilds, 
you know, in medieval times. All of that, it, it just opened the sor- whole sort of constellation of interests, uh, Greek mythology, anything that can be encompassed in studying Shakespeare is definitely a special interest of mine. And it's so vast that I looked into it for years and years and years and even forgot why I was interested in those things. You know, you start a project when you're five. Well, by the time you're 10, you don't remember necessarily what started you on that path. You you just kind of know you're on that path. But I also, I draw and I write and paint. And of course, you know, my love of Shakespeare then brought me into theater. I thought that I wanted to be an actor like a lot of kids do when they realize they have a passion for theater. And eventually I figured out that I'm really a designer and a director because I give direction much better than I take it. And uh, that's that's another common trait for certainly women on the autistic spectrum. I also, I love music, but not in a, like, a, I'm not at all analytical about it. I just love classical music and could listen to Bach all day, every day for the rest of my life. Between that and Led Zeppelin, I'm pretty much set and really boring <laughs> <laughs> in terms of musical exploration. I love costume design. I love anything to do with fantasy. I used to consume fantasy novels like Mad, and then they stopped working because I was able to analyze them. You know, at a certain point you go, oh, this is where this is going. And then, oh, so like you, you'd like crack the formula, and mm-hmm. so nothing was surprising or interesting? Okay. Yeah, yeah. And once in a while now, I I do find an exceptional author. Like, you know, Neil Gaiman, right. Terry Pratchett, Joanne Harris. There, There's some really excellent authors out there, but gone are the days when I could just pick up anything with a, with a lady with a sword on her hand and be happy for a few hours. Right. <laughs> So tell me about what you're trying to accomplish with this podcast. So kind of bring it all together, right? So like we know you and we, we know at least a little bit about who you are. And uh-huh. so you decided to do a podcast, obviously. And so like, what are you trying to accomplish? What are your goals? Well, it's lonely waking up, lonely and scary and exhilarating. And it's really hard to find any voices out there that are addressing you as an adult going through this phenomenal experience. You know, it feels like when you go to an exhibit and you see the baby chicks in the incubator and they're all hatching and they're poking their way out of their little egg and they make it through and then they just flop like exhausted and soggy and confused and their eyes sort of blinking and that's how this felt for me i'm like well okay i'm out of that egg that i didn't even know i was in i thought that was my whole world and look there's all these other beings like me and so i want to make it easier for all these other beings like me to look around and go, oh, okay, this is a process. This memory review is a process. These feelings of simultaneous ecstasy and despair and anger, it's a process. I'm not alone, and we can get through it 
together. So that that's number one. Number two is because autistic children are not being treated well. And it's just been heartbreaking beyond measure to understand what's happening to these children. And even when we're not being killed, even when we're not being beaten, to force somebody to stop doing what they're doing and not hurting anybody. There's a there's a phrase called stimming, which basically means it's it can be a physical or it can be a mental activity that's sort of repetitive and soothing. And one of the most obvious examples of that is flapping, flapping your hands or twiddling with stuff in your pockets or playing with your hair. Some of them you have to learn how to how to not do. Nobody wants to see you clean out your ears in public. That's just the way it is. (laughs) That's a fair one to learn to self-regulate on. But give your fingers something else to do. Learn to crochet. I learned how to draw. That was what I did. And fortunately for me, when I was growing up, A child drawing quietly at their desk was not seen as a terrible thing. It was not seen as an insult to the teacher or disrespect to anybody else. But you know what? By the time that I had gone to graduate school, and uh, I got my MFA in theater in 2011, by the way. So when I went back to graduate school, after not having been in school since 1986, when I got my bachelor's in environmental design, drawing in class was apparently a big no-no. And I had to fight to be allowed to just frickin' draw on my paper while other people were talking, because it's the only way that I can hear what's happening. It's the only way I can process information is if you let me do something with my fingers. So children are being scolded, reprimanded for doing something as simple as playing with the lint in their pockets. And this has to stop. This is what's called ABA therapy. Mm-hmm. And it's done by behaviorists. And it is the exact same kind of therapy that people used to do to gay children in order to make them stop being gay. There is very little difference in the methods. And so what we're seeing has happened is that all those harmful therapies that we know should not be applied to gay children are applied to autistic children. And actually, this brings up a a, a bit of a tangent, but there are unfortunately people online who make it their business to torment and troll actually autistic people. And what I've seen happen, okay, so computers are another special interest. (laughs) Um, And I've been online in, in forums since, I don't know, 1994, when Prodigy first came online. But back then, the insult used to be, oh, that's so gay. Oh, you're a fag. Uh-huh. And that doesn't happen anymore. Now they use autistic autism retard in place of those slurs. And this is very disappointing because unfortunately, often gay people do it too. Oh, yeah. This is depressing, but it's also hopeful to me because I've seen what's happened 
around the way we discuss gayness as a culture. And so I'm optimistic that we'll be able to climb out of this hole too. But in the meanwhile, we're right back to 1990s Usenet with packs of trolls <laughs> coming out and uh, deliberately going after autistic people. So I want to bring out a voice. I wanted to bring out my own voice and the voices of other actually autistic people. So most of the people that I'm going to be interviewing are actually autistic themselves. That's why. <laughs> well, that's cool. I I am super excited to see what you're doing. I mean, obviously, I mean, I'm I'm an holistic person, so this is not uh, it's not my cause in a personal way, but it is something that I care very deeply about. Uh, you know, as a person who's marginalized in other ways, you know, I, I feel a, a kinship on that level. And it's something that, you know, I, I care very much about making the world easier to navigate for autistic folks and for, I mean, for marginalized folks of all kinds. You know, I, I feel sort of like my interest in being an ally is uh, sort of especially focused around that because I think, I don't know, people just deserve to be able to navigate the world without being harmed for doing that in ways that are different, right? It seems um, reasonable. <laughs> you would think, you know. <laughs> And, and even the little bits and pieces I get for some of the quirks that I have, you know, I can only imagine that amplified a hundred times for folks who are actually autistic. And so I'm, I'm super grateful that you let me do this because I, like, I think it's a super important subject. I think your, your voice is fantastic and I'm really excited to see what you do with this. Well, thank you so much, Callie. And we all need our allies. You know, none of us can make it alone and we're stronger together. I agree. So, Callie, your podcast again is Queer Splaining. Wow, and we said that remarkably in sync with one another. That yay! Was impressive. <laughs> <laughs> and I, again, I so want to thank you for doing this. And the way that I found Callie was that I posted on a podcast support group that we belong to, which is run by the incredible Helen Zaltzman. Who oh, she's a delight. I have the biggest podcast fangirl crush on but i truly adore her and if uh, if you are not familiar with helen zaltzman then then hie thee to your podcast app and download the illusionist and answer me this because both of them are phenomenal well thank you callie so so much and i'm so glad that we got to meet each other absolutely same to you my friend thanks for having me bye bye everybody Music. Please tell me that's your actual theme music. <laughs>